Mini-episode 1571 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at Sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You'll want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late-night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge mini episode 1571. This is FDH managing partner Rick Morris coming at you. With one of our favorite FDH Lounge dignitaries, my good pal Ben Chu. And we are breaking down the 2022-2023 NBA season just past Christmas here. That is the uh, traditional, it's a weird thing with the basketball calendar, sort of, you know, viewed as opening day by a lot of folks, which is weird because they actually play several weeks before then. But the point at which supposedly things start getting serious uh, maybe a little bit somewhat akin to the way that people talk about the quarter pole in baseball. But uh, coming out of that, uh, we've had many, many, many interesting uh, developments. And uh, FDH Hoops analyst Ben Chu always has his finger on the pulse. So happy to bring him in as I reach out and make the tag. Ben, very, very pleased to have you on today, buddy, talking some hoops with you. Well, I appreciate it, Rick, as always. And at least hopefully we'll... And uh, we'll have some more intrigue past the uh, Christmas point in the NBA season. We will indeed. And uh, one of the things that sort of started to happen over the holidays here and has kept on going, I'm going to start with this because it's the thing I think that's probably most upper uh, uh, toward the front of people's minds right now, is all of these just unbelievable stat lines we've been getting recently here. Uh, Of course, uh, Donovan Mitchell with a 71 the other night, of course, that near and dear to my heart. Luka's done it a whole lot. Uh, You know, you've had, I think, Jokic out there putting up some historic nights. I mean, this is just a thing. Uh, Giannis has done it as well. Just any thoughts that you have as far as how and why this is coming to pass with with so many of these things coming so closely together? I mean, maybe to an extent it becomes a little bit of can you top this? Uh, But again, you know, you can go out there and have the copycat syndrome and you're like, okay, well, time for me to go have a historic night. But you've got to actually go out and produce it. And and therein, to me, lies the mystery. What, What would you say to that as far as why we're seeing so much of this recently and why stat muse on twitter is having such a busy time of it keeping up right and i think i remember i saw a stat too rick i think the nba posted it. i think starting from like christmas day up to i think what was it last early last week there had been like 22 games of more than 45 points wow. by single players and I'm thinking, honestly, just watching some of these games and seeing how they've been going, it's like, we, we are also right now probably arguably one of the most talented periods of time in the, in the league's history with so many great legendary players just already on the floor. And we've already seen what has happened with offensive efficiency improving over the last three to four years. And now I think what we're, we're starting to see a shift for a little bit better defense overall, but I feel like what's happening a little bit more in the sea change is that the better players are 
being able to do a little bit more in terms of isolation play, a little bit more in terms of pick and roll action. The big thing I've seen a lot more is we're seeing a lot more, a lot of the elite level stars in today's game, guys like Jokic and Giannis and Luka, be playmakers and be able to distribute to their teammates a lot better and at a higher percentage, and then, which allows their offense to be even more harder to stop because you have to then essentially pick your poison and you only have X amount of options at the end of the day. So it's a little bit, I would say, a little bit of the league sort of shifting itself back to a more balance on offense and defense. But I'm also just thinking the talent level of these legendary elite level players and I'm not we're not even talking about guys like LeBron and Donovan Mitchell we're just talking about just the international guys on their own right that's true and when you factor in Mitchell for example here he seems to be maybe a little bit more predictable of an example of what you're talking about in the sense of uh, he's more uh, sort of traditionally the height of a point guard even though he's been a two guard since he's been in the league but one of the observations I've had and this was true the night of the 71 point game was uh, he was uh, unfortunate enough not to have Garland next to him at point guard there which is going to set you back he's got to play out of position but to your reading of it what you're talking about here may be beneficial to his game because when he's got the ball in his hands the playmaking that he is showing this year his capacity to come in and play point guard at a high level, it is giving somebody, everybody uh, something really tangible to think about here, that uh, he might put it up, but he might find the open man, and maybe it'll be Mobley or somebody else killing you. And I think, too, Justin, and another great example of this is a guy like Jason Tatum as well, who can sort of isolate on the floor and get his own shot, but then also make plays for his teammates as well. And I think the major thing we're going to start to see moving forward is maybe some different drop coverages on the pick-and-roll Maybe teams might play a little bit more zone moving forward. But it, it, I, this always also feels like, too, with the league, the first 40 or so on games of the season, it usually tends to be players tend to be up. We haven't had any massively major injuries to start the season outside of Steph Curry's couple of weeks off and Anthony Davis's couple of weeks off. There hasn't been any major injuries, and I think we'll start to see teams and players start to slow down once we get to the back half of the schedule and a lot more in terms of like when we focus on so much offensive efficiency defensive efficiency will eventually catch up that's true and i think also too one of the things is one of the big uh, points of being afraid in the league the last couple of years and i think justifiably so when you're looking at the usage rates look at the usage rates particularly the peak years in houston for james harden and look at how he was left to be gasping on fumes by the time his team was eliminated every year. So I think that's something that probably sticks in teams' minds as well. It's an 82-game season. It's a marathon, not a sprint. And that on the back end here, you're just going to be seeing guys not getting the opportunities to go out there and have these otherworldly games just because you got to preserve them for the four rounds going into June. And I also think one point we do have to make, too, Rick, is that with the Victor and Scoot Henderson draft coming up. Yes. You're going to start. We're seeing a lot of teams that are clearly aiming for the lottery and teams trying to make the playoffs. So although we have more high-level talent in the league than ever before, there are a lot of teams right now that don't have like a marquee talent. That is true. That is undeniably true. And you look at it going through here, and uh, with, with Victor and Scoot being out there, this is one of these things where I think it is going to uh, significantly impact uh, the playoff picture. 
I'm hearing uh, rumors in Cleveland about some things that the Cavs are looking at doing. But all over the league, some of the top contenders out there, it is really going to be a buyer's market because you're not going to have to give up as much in terms of tangible assets to get a whole lot from teams that are tanking. And if you have expiring contracts, it's really going to be a buyer's market out there because that's what these teams want. They want the ability to sort of clear themselves out. And then uh, if they don't get Victor or Scoop, they're obviously going to you know take their hopes on, on one of the other players here. But getting a lot of you know cap room available is, is sort of the next best thing for them as well. Right, and we saw recently a trade that uh, Boston had sending Noah Vonley to uh, San Antonio, and both San Antonio and Boston waving Cam and Gorgie just a quick cap space. So I expect for the trade deadline, I don't think it will be as insanely high profile as some of the other ones we've had recently, but we're going to see a lot of teams shifting mid-tier level guys, guys like Bogdanovich, guys like, you know, I'll, I'll throw in a name that, isn't really talked a lot about, but I do think he could be on the move. Like we, we mentioned Sadiq Bay in Detroit. There's also, um, you know, it wouldn't shock me too if some of the talent in San Antonio, guys like Zach Collins, and some of the guys not part of their plan. And I mean, Houston too, they still have Eric Gordon, who's been there for a while and who could be a good piece on the contender. And then we still don't know what's happening in Utah. They've, they've sizzled down since their hot start. But it feels like to me that there are a lot of people willing to sell off their good assets for draft picks and for the opportunity just to get more ping pong balls at the end of the day. You would think so. And I had that question put to me by somebody recently, uh, like, oh, well, but the NBA's kind of flattened it out here on the probabilities. But it is a thing where, again, Victor being a, a generational type talent. Right, and essentially, I mean, if you go down the line, he's like, you think the next few would. Spurs and Tim Duncan and just those multi-generational prospects. And it feels like Victor, unless barring massive injury or just some sort of deficiency in his game that none of us are seeing, he will be an all-time legendary great player. And it would be move a lot of teams because we've seen it time and time again. If you look at the pantheon of champions or teams that have been in conference finals, you usually tend to have at least one Hall of Fame time. And at least visually right now, Victor's. But we also can't forget, like you said, Scoot Henderson's going to be a good player. There's a lot of discussion about Ossier Thompson being possibly the guy that no one's really good. He's going to be in the top three, but he might have the best career out of everybody. And there are a lot of guys that, you know, are under the radar that can be where I think Big Smith from Arkansas could be a very interesting player as well. So there's this doesn't strike me. This isn't what we like to say. Rick is a top-heavy draft at all. There's still some very good players one
Yeah. And one point to just switch to the Nets very quickly, Rick. It's not surprising that once Kyrie got healthy and some of their bench got healthy, including Ito Watanabe and uh, I'm just playing. I'm blanking on the name right now, Rick. I, I should know this. I should know this better by now. But okay. with them, you know, getting some getting Patty Mills and excuse me, TJ Warren healthy too. So they, he's a great score off the bench for them. So. Once your depth starts to kind of figure itself out, you're going to be good. But then we both know that the Nets and the Celtics both have stupendous, talented, superstar caliber guys. And we know in this league, if you have superstar caliber guys, they can at least get you to a finals run, no matter what. Right. That is that is definitely true. And again, yeah, Boston doing it coming off of uh, losing their head coach, Udoka. I mean, it just... The, the self-inflicted wounds that both teams have uh, overcome uh, to this point, uh, you know, such as, uh, you know, Kyrie Irving being on the disabled list. Kyrie Irving out tonight, comma, anti-Semitism, and then Udoka being out for, for the year for Boston and probably longer than that based on how they're playing. Uh, just to be able to overcome that is incredible. The other two teams right now, that look like teams that are, I think, the strong favorites to be able to come through the first round. Uh, neither one of them surprises in my book. Milwaukee, who I maintain, had Middleton been in there last year, I think would have gone back to the finals. Again, Middleton, not a factor for them in the first half of the season thus far this year, but they're still way up there towards the top. The Cavs, it took a couple of times for them to beat the Bucks, but they have. The Cavs are... Uh, a subpar team on the road that has been their biggest issue right now and both scoring and defending at the three position has been their biggest liability to this point but uh, Milwaukee and Cleveland uh, looking like it's going to be one heck of a rivalry at the top of the central division this year and for years to come potentially right and I, I think the big thing too is just with to start with the Bucks is that I, I believe there's a stat so far this year that the big three of Holiday, Giannis, and Chris Middleton have shared the floor for only 73 minutes. So they are, they can definitely be a much better team. They have, they'll have some key contributions. Brooke Lopez, Brooke Lopez is now finally healthy. They'll have some key contributions. Guys like Grayson Allen and Marshawn Beauchamp as well. The rookie from Seattle is always going to, is, has made some impacts in his last couple of games. And they have a very well balanced, well coached team under Mike Budenholzer. So it's going to be interesting to see. If they can get healthy, what this team looks like, because for now it just looks like Giannis is just carrying the team on his back and doing the best that he can moving forward. Yep. And the Cavs, I mean, we, we saw last year they kind of fell off the face of the all the injuries, but they have all the they have plenty of talent, and Donovan Mitchell has been playing like an MVP candidate. And again, another very good deep team that will have an opportunity to make a little run in the playoffs, especially if the they get certain matchups that tend to fall their way. I still think is very top-heavy with four or five men. The fifteen that we haven't mentioned is Philadelphia, but we've seen, I've seen them sort of hop-bop from being really good to really bad so often it's really hard for me to put them as a contender, but if Maxi is healthy and Harden and if he can stay on the same page, there definitely should be a force in the Eastern Conference as well. Exactly, and uh, in terms of the Cavs, we've talked, you and I, a lot in recent years about the big player development successes in the league. Miami, Denver, going back in time further, San Antonio. The Cavs are definitely on that list right now. The fact that it's that, it, it, that this is being asked in a good season for the Cavs, 
in a very, very good season for the Cavs. The chatter among the fan bases. So when is Dean Wade going to be back in there? That shows you how great they are at player development, Ben, too. <laughs> right. And, I mean, we've also seen, in terms of guys, and I'll, I'll use an example of in Boston, too. I mean, Sam Hauser was pretty much a non-factor last season, and he's getting a lot of big minutes for them. And then also, just the... We've seen Tatum take it to another level, and we see Jalen Brown has also improved some of his numbers in recent games as well. So the East is very top-heavy, but, I mean, it could we could see some other teams sneak in at the end of the year, like Indiana and the Knicks. But it just kind of seems like, in comparison to the West, which just seems like an amalgamation of a bunch of talented teams, the East is pretty more succinct, and, like, there's four or five that should be facing off for the final. There should be... Four, one of these five teams should be facing off for the, I guess, I guess, should be facing off for an NBA Finals. Trip. Yes, and Indiana and... There we go, I figured it out at some point there. Yes, Indiana and New York... The journey have, was long, but I got there. You made it there, you made it there. Indiana and New York have been nice surprises. I don't know that either of those is going to have the, the lasting power for this year. When you're looking at some of the disappointments of the East... Thus far, two of them are in the Southeast, even though they're the top two teams in the standings, Miami and Atlanta. Neither one of them is having the kind of season that they hoped for. Uh, And in the case of Atlanta, it it is sounding like uh, it might be coming uh, toward the the final days of Trey Young, as as odd as that may seem, that things could sour that much. But uh, the wheels seem to be coming off there to a degree. And then Toronto. I know that uh, health has not necessarily always been on their side. Nobody thought Toronto would be a distant last place in the Atlantic Division. So uh, it's not all wine and roses for the expected uh, contenders coming into the season in the East, Ben Chu. No, and just, I mean, just to make really quick notes on all three of them, the Hawks have just kind of been weird for the last since going up. They reminded me a lot of the, uh, since I'm based in Portland, a lot of that Blazer team that went to the Western Conference Finals and lost to the Warriors. Yes. That they overachieved and that they tried to spend money to keep the team together and it just never really worked out. And I mean, obviously, Nate McMillan's an old school head coach and I'm not sure if that's the right coach for, for uh, Trey Young. And we'll see also what happens with there because it's they're in this sort of weird hodgepodge because that they have a lot of good, talented players. But outside of Trey and DeJounta, they really don't. I, I don't know where the fit is. I, I don't understand like what their plan is really. Right. And if I'm them, I don't. If I want maybe to go after Victor or Scoot Henderson, I, I can't blame them if they want to try and look in options. I don't think Trey Young's going to get traded, but you can't you can't say that's an impossibility at any period of time moving forward. For the Heat, I, I just honestly feel like the Heat. They had a very good run for the last four years, but I can tell like their top-level talent is not the same. Lowry hasn't looked like himself in recent games. and then I still think they're very thin up front. I, I know Bam's a great player, but if you look past Bam, there's not much there. Yep. And it kind of has to come down to Jimmy Butler, who is a fantastic player but has a lot of mileage on him at this point of his career, and then Tyler Hero having to step up and Caleb Morin having to step up. It just... They just seem like this is the year for Miami to maybe regroup and rebuild their roster a little bit. And then for Toronto, it's very simple, Rick. It's, this should not be super complicated for Toronto, but they can't shoot. They're one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the league. And defensively, while they have a lot of tough matchups, that you can pretty much pack the paint on them because most of their guys are going to be trying to score. 
Right. And it's going to be interesting to see what Toronto, what Masai Ujiri is going to do. If he wants to blow it up for Victor or if he wants to try and use some of, try and keep this sort of flexi big guy team together. The problem I feel like is, is that outside of Gary Trent Jr., they don't really have much in terms of outside scoring. Well, exactly. And this is. And what... let me also note this too, Rick. This is no disrespect to Fred Van Vliet, but he's, his first 15 games of the season were not good. No, they weren't. And, he's and been struggling. The thing, too, you, you talk about Jimmy Butler, and it's true. Uh, a lot of city miles on Kyle Lowry also. I mean, the fact that it's the year 2023 and we're still talking about having any kind of expectations for him whatsoever as far as being a core piece, this is a thing. I'm looking at this here. Uh, as we're coming up on our uh, 16th anniversary for the FDH Lounge, that right about marks when Kyle Lowry came into the league, and it's been heavy court numbers most of the years since then. So... Again, we should be celebrating the fact that the guy is more than a fringe contributor at this stage of his career. Uh, the extent to which Miami is leaning on him, I think, is somewhat of a self-indictment. Yeah, I think also, too, it's just Miami has built and made a lot of great players, but they've also made a lot of, I would say, like one-trick pony players. Right. Guys like Hero, guys like Duncan Robinson, who are great scorers. And guys like, you know, that they put through the system, like Wayne Deadman and all. It's like, they're good players, but are they difference maker players? And I don't necessarily, you know, you can argue that Hero's there at periods of time, but he's been inconsistent too this season. So, yeah, it just kind of feels like they're a team that are meant to have wholesale changes, but they're not there yet. Well, yeah. and uh, They're in that weird fringe right now, Rick. Like, should we be a contender or should we tank? Yes. And, uh, again, difference makers don't grow on trees. Uh, that yeah. is definitely And a, one minor point I do want to make, and I'll bring up against Trump, because I did see a recent telecast of theirs, is this season it appeared Nick Nurse is trying to give more ball-sharing duties with guys like Barnes and Siakam and Van Vliet in comparison to prior years when Van Vliet was pretty much running the show. Right. So it might be a guilt of spreading the love around almost, weirdly enough. Yeah, and that could take some adjustment. I think it's a smart move, uh, particularly when we're talking about... I agree, too. My big know. issue, again, is their their outside shooting is among the worst in the league right now. So yep, and that that's... You're not winning in today's NBA if you're not shooting the three-pointer well. Just going to say, that's death in today's NBA, and uh, that that is uh, conversely... How's this for a segue? Something that is not an issue as we pivot to the Western Conference. We were just talking about one of the league's great player development stories in Miami, things not going so well for them. Things going much better for another of the league's great player development success stories in Denver, uh, as they are warding over the Northwest Division right now, as anticipated. Portland uh, getting off to a better start than at least I anticipated. Uh, They're hovering right around 500. Utah, better than I'd say anybody anticipated. Uh, In Minnesota, it's a question of uh, what's the fit looking like with the Twin Towers here. I have to snicker because I think uh, that uh, Mike Ganzi and the Cavs made it look easy putting Twin Towers together, but it uh, doesn't work for everybody, as we're seeing with the T-Wolves. And Oak City is pretty much Oak City, although they're playing at a little higher level uh, this year. I, at just the wrong moment in time when they got a chance to get uh, Victor or Scoop. So uh, the Northwest Division is an interesting picture, but uh, Denver looking like a very legitimate championship contender is certainly not an unexpected thing. It's the most expected thing I think we've seen thus far. I'd agree with you, too. And I do feel like 
they're still not officially playing their best basketball yet because at least from the games that I've seen of them, they've kind of looked mad on offense. Mm-hmm. I've never gotten to say that about a team in Denver, but they just kind of look mad. Like, Jokic is, again, we're, that's not an opinion. Jokic. Jokic is spectacular. And at this pacing, if he keeps up these numbers, he should become the first three-time winner in MVP winner in NBA history. Yep. But, they're, I mean, Jamal Murray's still coming, getting back to his sea legs. Michael Porter Jr. has been in and out of the lineup. And, again, they've been kind of relying on a hodgepodge of other guys, guys like Kentavious Caldwell-Pope. Aaron Gordon's had a very good season this year, I think. I think he's averaging now 16-6 and six with 60% field goal percentage. And the one thing that I'll say, one of the guys we don't really talk about, but I feel like we need to talk about Melor is Bones Highland, who has been yes. very pivotal for them off the bench. So they've been just, I think, very, very solid, but I'm very still skeptical in a playoff series if they have enough guys, Rick Morris, enough offense. Exactly, exactly. And that's uh, that's a very... Uh, interesting thing to keep an eye on going forward here, but uh, that that roster is just very, very intriguing. The Pacific Division, this is, I think, this is like the Haley's Comet of years for them, because this is usually a thing where the difference between rich and poor is, quite frankly, as bifurcated as what you'll see in some Southern uh, California communities here where, you know, you've got the Hollywood Hills over here and you've got Skid Row not too far away. You know, uh, but uh, that's usually what the Pacific Division is, uh, of that kind of a vast spread. Everybody's clumped around 500 right now, which is really, really weird. You've got uh, Sacramento having, again, much like Utah, a much better year than anticipated because of, uh, I think, largely what their offensive uh, efficiency has been. Uh, The Clippers went from not getting much at all out of Kawhi early on to an awful lot out of him recently. You've got uh, Phoenix, which uh, you know I, I think at times has looked like a legitimate championship contender, and at times not. That's how you end up being a 500 team. Uh, Golden State, which is just dismal on the road, and uh, the Lakers, who are quite frankly uh, overachieving and being carried by LeBron to a pretty good degree still at his age, just to be this close to 500, uh, not a playoff team. But, uh, again, without Anthony Davis in the lineup, they should be one of the worst teams in the league, and uh, they haven't been on a lot of nights. So the Pacific, just way more of a jumble than we're usually used to seeing. Yeah, and I mean, we've been so used to just Golden State or Laker dominance in recent memory. Yep. So yeah. it should have been surprising. Sacramento has, I, I think, honestly, they're the most interesting team in the division right now. They re- they really didn't make any big major acquisitions in the offseason. But you can just the one th- I, I'll say this, Rick, because we've had a, I've had a lot we've had a lot of discussions that uh, regarding Mike Brown, but it does feel like to me that Mike Brown is using a lot of the little tricks and tips that the Golden State offense is. De'Aaron Fox has had a very good season. So bonus should be an all star at this point. Yep. And it just kind of feels like they're this young, fun team that I always thought they could be, but they've never put it together yet. The beam team is finally here. But again, it's going to be interesting because you would think of the start that they've gotten that they'd be firmly entrenched in the playoff race, but they are only four or five games without dropping out of it entirely. So yeah. I don't know where they're ultimately going to stand at the end of the year. I mean, we'll, we'll, I'll talk about the Lakers. They could make some moves, but it feels like they're just building for the future and making the money off of the couple final LeBron years, which is totally, totally, I understand. You can't always be competitive forever at the end of the day, I like to say in Laker Lane. 
The yeah. Clippers, I like to say, are the ultimate Jekyll and Hyde team in the league. One week, they look like that they can make the Western Conference Finals, and last line, they get blown out by Denver by, like, 30. Yeah. So it's not beneficial, it's not helpful for them, and then Golden State, We, I think we already know the story with Golden State, they don't care about the regular season. It's irrelevant to them, they just need to make the playoffs and get Curry and Thompson and company healthy. Right. So, uh, there's not really, in my opinion, much else that's really super puzzling and then i mean with phoenix i think we would all like to say that phoenix is probably the best team in the pacific division but they've been dealing with injury issues with devin booker and i know Ain was out for a couple of games or two early in the season so and then they're also dealing with you know jay crowder's not is has been a non-factor this season because he's been wanting to be traded cam johnson's been in and out of the lineup so they've again it's been very bizarre for the Pacific Division. But we, again, I think we it's still so early to tell, and I don't think we can make any real big, massive changes at this point. In terms of Sacramento. Or make any mass declarations at this point. You're right about that, uh, that you, you can't make any declarations right now. Sacramento, you referenced this as far as they're not far from being out of the playoffs altogether at this point. And if you're Sacramento, you almost have to look at it, do you not? Like, this is a slightly affluent man's version of the AFC South or the NFC South. Your only guarantee is to win the division. Yeah. And I feel like, too, is that Sacramento actually has a really good young, fun team. And they've made, a, even though we they've made some comically bad decisions, this team is very good. And it does feel like Mike Brown has learned some of the offensive sets that they've been using. One thing I noticed, too, I remember I watched... A clip by the very fantastic YouTube channel, Thinking Basketball, as he was documenting the improvement of Sacramento's points scoring in the paint. They're doing at least three or four points higher than they did last season. And I feel like if you learn to get more easy buckets, and they've been getting a lot of better three-point shooting from guys like Kevin Herter and Malik Monk, they have the opportunity to be one of those fun, interesting teams that could shake up the Western Conference playoffs. I just don't think they are there just yet. Well, and I have to say, uh, and this is... But, but as we all know, they want to make the playoffs. That was the that was the major stamp of approval that owner Vivek Ranadive wanted this year, that they have to make the playoffs. And right now they should. They but should. it's just, again, it's... You would think the feel-good story that Sacramento is right now, they'd be further up in the standings, and they really are not. Right. Now, uh, and again, they, and they've got a decent amount of, uh, you know, at least a little bit more games in hand than some of the other teams in the Pacific as we record this. As far as it goes with uh, Golden State, uh, for as much as I loathe that franchise, I'm not going to take a, a miss a chance here. I'm not going to miss a chance to take a little shot at them here. I, the last couple of years... I was kind of groaning, especially seeing the Cavs come together, uh, and like, oh my God, is it? Are we going to have to deal with Golden State in the finals once we get back there and everything? Because Moody, Kamingo, Wiseman, Baldwin, I'm looking at this here, and Ben, I don't know what to say other than I think it's not too soon to start referring to the lost generation of Golden State prospects. All of these guys stepping on their jobs to varying degrees. Uh, Wiseman to the effect of being out of the NBA altogether at one point and sent to the G League. So I'm not exactly sure what's happening there, and especially for a team that loves from ownership on down to pat themselves on the back about player development. Uh, they haven't done it with some very talented uh, prospects. No, and it looks like at least, ironically, Rick, the 
two of the guys who have been playing, I mean, three of the guys who have been playing the best for them right now recently, Dante DiVincenzo, Anthony Lamb, and Ty Jerome, were guys that weren't even, outside of DiVincenzo, they weren't even guys that were even thought about to be in the rotation at this point in the season. But it's going to be interesting. I always tell people Golden State doesn't care about the regular season at this point. They beat, they destroyed both Memphis and Boston on nationally televised games. So ultimately, I feel like as long as they kind of just get into the first four seeds in the West, they'll be fine no matter what happens. Because, and I know we'll talk about the Southwest coming up soon, but with such, it's the craziest situation because I've never seen it before in league history where the difference between the 10th seed and the one seed in the Western Conference is only five, I believe at this moment, five and a half games, which to be honest, that's not a big number. It's incredibly fluid. It shouldn't be that way through this yeah. point of the season. Uh, we haven't, this is parody at its finest. We haven't seen this in a long time. Well, you and I have been talking about this, that uh, it, it is a point in time here where over the course of the last couple of years, you have what have been some of the entrenched powers in the league still kind of trying to hang on by their fingernails. You have the new guard up and coming, and, it, and it's, it's this overlap period that you're seeing. This is an extreme manifestation of it, the way it's played out over the first half of the season. I don't think it's going to be going that way through the second half of the season. But as far as the new wave of teams here in the Southwest Division, uh, starting a year ago, Memphis firmly planted their flag amongst them. Memphis being a team that uh, you and I both had coming out of the uh, Western Conference this year. Uh, you've got New Orleans. Had we all known that Zion was going to be back and able to play as much as he's been able to go, maybe we wouldn't be as surprised as we are about how they've been going. Dallas, still in that mix the last couple of years. Really, ever since the bubble, they've been a legitimate fringe contender in the Western Conference through Luka and whatever pieces they're putting together around him. Uh, San Antonio and Houston both in the tank at the bottom here. So this is the one division in the Western Conference that has some real bifurcation to it. You would have thought that the Northwest there would have been a little bit more, except Oklahoma City has rallied a little stronger than we thought they might this year. But the Southwest Division, aside from, I would say, New Orleans being better than we would have thought at this point in time, and again, having said that, though, I'm going to put an asterisk on better than we thought because if we knew Zion was going to be in there, we would have said on paper this is one of the best starting fives in the league, and it is. Uh, but again, this this division has just been really fascinating with those three powers in there, and uh, it's going to be uh, great watching it play out over the rest of the season and into the playoffs. Right, and I, I think the major thing too, Rick, just in general with the Southwest is that we know Memphis was always going to be the class of that division, and they've just shown to be just as spectacular and incredible as previous two, but we've seen the Pelicans who have been very you know they do what they do i mean zion despite getting injured recently they've been fantastic brandon ingram's played well when he's been healthy but it's pretty much the story of like if you have zion on your team you're gonna be a damn good team and then cj mccallum and their bench is still very good guys like Jose alvarado herbert jones has been good dyson daniels when he's gotten minutes to play well and they got balances well it's just Again, it's such a weird scenario. I've never seen this happen before, Rick, where it's so early, but we're seeing a lot of these really good young teams like Denver, the Pelicans, and New Orleans, and excuse me, and Memphis play super well to start the season, but they're all hodgepodge together, so I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> no, that's true. That's a very good point. I think a lot of us expected Memphis just to roll through. Well, with the asterisk on that of, 
Uh, well, I think you had Bain missing a period of time here, so we knew that they weren't going to be completely healthy and completely all on the same page health-wise for a period of time. Their ability to blow past that and be right there in the conversation right now for the one seed in the West is, I think, what's been most impressive with them and their capacity to build off of what they did last year. And uh, the way that Golden State really trash-talked them here in the offseason and acting like a team that uh, you know had, had proven something already when they hadn't, uh, Memphis has just taken the motivation from how last season ended and, and just kept on going. And like you said, very, very impressive on their part. And I think also, too, Rip, just in general, just with how a lot of these top teams in the West have been playing this year, it's through a lot of balance, getting easy baskets. And it's not surprising if you think about it, the Pelicans, the Grizzlies, and Nuggets all have very similar rosters in a way. They have that one guy who can score from anywhere on the floor. And speaking of Ja, Zion, and Jokic, but they all have a lot very good supporting cast with a lot of solid guys who can make easy baskets and do the things that are needed to be done. Yes, and uh, I, again... I'm not necessarily sure to answer I answer your question that well, but it's just, even I will note this too, even the bad teams in the Southwest, got teams like Houston and San Antonio, they got very, they got a lot of good young talent, even though they're not playing well right now. Jabari Smith has come up recently, and guys like Jeremy Sochin for San Antonio are guys who, are, it's going to be interesting if they get some of the better young talents in the league, what they could look like next season. You actually did answer my question because, again, about Memphis, the fact that Ja has been in there and been a constant, uh, you make a very good point that he's uh, he's been anchored by maybe sort of a revolving door of some other players here because of injuries, but uh, that, that does explain an awful lot about where they're at. Just big picture-wise, I know I had Milwaukee-Memphis in the finals. Uh, you had, uh, much to my gratitude, Cleveland and Memphis in the finals here. Uh, big picture, I don't see anything that punctures either scenario that either one of us had. Do you see anything at this point that does? The most obvious one to me would be Golden State. Despite what everyone says, Golden State's still Golden State. It doesn't. You still have the arguably greatest shooter in NBA history on your team. And, you know, that despite all the issues they have, ultimately in the NBA, Rick, what are you trying to do? Win home games in the playoffs. All right. Cool. And there might be no one better than Memphis, uh, not Memphis, but Golden State in doing that. But again... Another thing I will say is, is that in speaking of home court advantages, now let's not forget that the Denver Nuggets have a huge home court advantage. They do. In terms of the rarefied air of Colorado. They do. So it's going to be interesting to see how teams go in and are impacted by that. But ultimately, if I'm going to be honest, it's such a hodgepodge right now that I don't even think our predictions are really that. They're far, there's perception we fall, fall off, but even I will say it's like, I don't know. It's really hard to tell right now. Okay. Well, last question I have for you, since since you phrased it that way, uh, you, you, you gave me a very good setup here. You've got Boston in the East that a lot of people are already crowning as the East champions. You mentioned Golden State in the West. Which one of last two year's two finalists is a bigger threat to our scenarios? Me being uh, Milwaukee-Memphis, you being Cleveland-Memphis. Who's the bigger threat to that, Boston or Golden State? I would say, if I'm being totally honest... I'll say uh, I'm going to say Boston just because I think they're the best team okay. of that situation. But I will say again, Rick, we're, we're prisoners of the moment right now because the West is so hodgepodgey. Right. Again, Golden State right now, they're in the eighth spot. 
they win two games, they're already in three to four. It's still, yep. I think perceptually in the playoffs, if Golden State gets in, they're still a tough out no matter who they get. I agree. And I, I don't know what you can say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is hard to say right now. It's been a fascinating start to the season here, the way that things have gone. And, uh, <coughs> pardon me, look forward to continuing to break it down with you as we go further along through the season here. Uh, thank you very much for making time, Ben Chu. No problem, my friend. Appreciate you as always. I know the check is in the mail somewhere. It is. It is, absolutely. It's on its way. And uh, boy, is it going to recruit a lot of interest by then. Thank you so much, Ben Chu, and thank you, everybody, for tuning in to FDH Lounge Mini Episode 1571.